You don't think I'm weird? I do think you're weird. I knew that. I like weird. I like weird a lot. This is me. You know how when you meet someone and you think you like them, but then the more you talk to them, you see parts you don't like? Everyone always thought May was different. Jesus, what are you doing? Relaxing. Doesn't it hurt? Ow! You crazy bitch! But really, she was just misunderstood. I need a real friend. Someone I can hold. Don't be mad. Then, one day, May met Adam. Hello? The boy I saw today is different. So what do you do, May? I work at the animal hospital. When I left for vacation, my dog had four legs. You can't sew it back on, can you? I could. Some people think it's kind of gross. I love gross. Really? And she thought he liked her just the way she was. Oh, I'm bleeding. I know. May, this is weird. You like weird. Not that weird. But May's new friend turned out to be just like everyone else. I'm sorry things didn't work out between us. It just didn't feel right. So many pretty parts, no pretty holes. So May decided to make a friend of her own. I need more parts. You have a beautiful neck. I love your tattoo. Can I get a few more measurements? I love your hands. You have really beautiful legs. You're gonna look perfect. Hello, and welcome to Bella Lugosi is Undead. I'm AJ. And I'm Ryan. And uh, today we're talking about the 2002 film May. Yeah, I absolutely love this film. This is uh, the one that I picked out, and I was so excited learning about this film. Um, For me, it was just like a cult classic that I picked up based on on basically like last last podcast on the left talking about it. And like, I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And like, when I first watched it without the context and learning all about it, I was like, I'm Adam. Like, like, May is my, May is my horror crush. And this movie is about me, cut me into a doll. I'm ready to go. Like, (laughs) so... It's just like a, a a horror sort of uh, a horror guy homage um, on my first watching, and I can't wait to talk to you guys about everything we've learned about it. So AJ, how do you feel? I think this wasn't this the first time you watched it. So this is the first time I'd ever watched May. Um, it's a movie that I think sits better with you the longer away you're from it. Like I think in the moment I was a little frustrated by it. And then the last third of the movie happens, and I was on such a high at the end of the last third. I wish the first, like, hour had been as, like, energetic and interesting to me Mm. as the last half hour. But that being said, it it still is a very interesting movie, even from the word go. And that's really, Mm -hmm. like, especially for an indie movie, it, it is doing a lot that I think people would be surprised by especially yeah. during your first viewing it, it, it is simultaneously riffing on a bunch of different subgenres, yeah which does make it unique and it's also got like this weird i would say like dramatic arc at its heart mm-hmm. that is a straight-up homage to taxi driver and yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah and, and we'll get into that because that, that's very purposeful yeah. But it's just a, like a gender flip taxi driver is, I think, the easiest way yeah. for me to come to grips with like how I feel about the movie. Mm, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you want to do our 90 seconds before we jump in any further? Yeah, absolutely. All right, ready? You want yep. me to go? Yep, whenever you are ready to go. Okay, so the movie opens up, and there's this little girl, and she's got a lazy eye, and everyone makes fun of her, and her mom's like, okay, if you don't have friends, then you have to create your friends, and so she goes out, and she is now an adult, and she works at a veterinary clinic, and she has all these cool sewing techniques that she can do, and she's kind of weird, and she's obsessed with this guy, and she loves his hands, and she has, like, a thing for his hands, and she goes out, and, like, is 
gets like tries to get with him. He shows her this like violent romantic like short film he creates, and she tries to like recreate it with him and like causes him to like bleed from like hurting him. <laughs> and he's like, "Whoa!" She's like, "I thought you, I thought you liked weird." And he's like, "No, that's too weird." He goes out, <laughs> and she kind of like has her life fall apart. And has her life fall apart from all these people that like like her, but she doesn't fully understand that like they it's kind of like new and they don't really know her and she's like moving too fast. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that sometimes. And like then she kind of like cracks and so is a Frankenstein's monster of all the people that she like likes all their body parts and creates her own friend. That's time. You did it with 20 seconds to spare, so great job. Yeah, um, dude, I think I did a good job. I think that's a pretty good synopsis. <laughs> I was going to say, the last half hour is just essentially her picking off all of yeah. the people who she's interacting with and collecting their individually unique, exciting body parts to her. And then, like you said, yeah. she sews up the monster. Yeah. And there are a lot of movies that I think this does directly homage beyond the taxi drivers. Even if yeah. you're looking at just horror movies... You know, mm-hmm. I recommended Maniac to you, which you had already seen, but yes. there's, there's very strong Maniac DNA in this. I would also yeah. say Pieces from the 70s. That's another one mm-hmm. that's about... Yeah, it's about... A, it's, I think it's on Shutter right now, and it's about a serial killer who sews together all of the pieces of all the women he kills. And that is, like, like absolute, like, trash slasher. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 it is, like, lowest production quality possible. <laughs> It's not even a B movie, it's a C movie. Like, yeah, it, but but for like ninety minutes, it's an enjoyable yeah. little watch. Yeah, and, and, and it, perfect for that type of movie. <laughs> and, and like May, the last like ninety seconds is amazing. I would say <laughs> May is a much better movie than Pieces, but okay. it, it, it it does like help that these movies end on a strong note that yeah really hits home the the important stuff, and then. Obviously, Frankenstein DNA is running yes. through this whole movie. I love the tattoo. I was going to mention the tattoo mm-hmm. on the punk rock guy. That was such a cool, like, direct homage. Kind of, like, spoon-fed to the audience, but I loved it. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, sometimes, again, one of the things that you and I love about horror is you don't have to hide your references. You don't have That's to hide true. the things that inspire you. You can yeah. openly homage it and pastiche yeah. it, and we're all set. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I think this is a good opportunity to jump into, jump into Lucky. Do you want to kick off some Lucky talk? Yeah, so uh, Lucky McKee is the director of the film. He also wrote the film. He's a pretty interesting individual because, especially given the reception this movie got, I would have assumed that he would have a slightly stronger pop career post this yeah. film. But he has very much stuck to his indie roots, which I have to respect. Yeah, absolutely. When he was kind of coming up, he said he used to only go to the movies once a year and watched most of his movies on VHS. Uh, His family did not go to the movies very often. And so one of the movies I guess he saw at some point was Nightmare on Elm Street, when he was, like, really young. So him and his friends remade it on VHS, which is nuts. And they did it when they they were 12. So I'm just so curious how a 12-year-old remakes a movie like Nightmare. Oh, my gosh. That's... It's extremely dope. He was such an yeah. accomplished filmmaker when he was in high school that his high school actually commissioned him to make a documentary about his senior class. So he had, wow. like, a nice little portfolio put together and yeah. applied to USC and in 1993 got into USC and went to film school. Yeah. And while That's he was awesome. in film school, he actually wrote May during his sophomore yeah. year. A lot of the connections that he makes on this movie to production designers, editors, co-producers, they're people who he met at USC film school. So clearly that group was very tight knit and it helped him assemble what is a surprisingly talented group on this film. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the one thing I really liked learning about lucky is that he grew up in this like rural area. And like AJ said, like, they had to go, it was like a trip to go to the movies, right? So the movies are like a really big deal, right? And even to get even to get a VHS was like miles and miles and miles. It was like special occasions that you'd be able to go to like a blockbuster to get a VHS, right? So like the movies for him were like huge. It was such a big deal in his life, like mm-hmm. movies. And he said that it was a, 
his family was one of the last families in his area to get a VHS player. And after they got the VHS player, he just consumed content. You know, everything we know about resiliency and, like, passion for a field, like, this is, like, the story of that from a psychological perspective. It's, like, you're, you're late to the game and you have to catch up and you always feel like you're behind and you just exponentially grow into something fantastic. Like, yeah, so cool. even somebody like myself, right? Like, I realized I loved movies when I was in college. And yeah. so I felt like I wasted all of my time in high school not watching movies like I could have. Instead, I was like, you know, watching sports and hanging out with friends. Yeah. And maybe, oh. you know, those would have been... Uh, I mean, those were great things that I was able to do. But at the same time, I probably would have loved to have gotten a five-year head start on watching movies the way I do sure. now. Yeah, but you, you because you're, uh, like, had to catch up, like, your passion is, like, is real, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it's like... a good point. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. And, and it's really cool that he was able to, you know, spin this into into like real strong relationships with the people around him like his friend kevin ford from high school would later marry angela bettis who is the lead of this movie oh uh, shit yeah he made a movie with uh chris Sivertson, who yeah. they they made several like small features together and he serves as an editor on this movie and would later go on to direct his own movies the big person that i was shocked to find out was involved with this movie is ryan johnson from yeah. Knives Out and from Star Wars oh, cool. and Brick. <laughs> yeah, like, Ryan Johnson is, like, a huge effing deal. And even today, yeah. like, Ryan Johnson still tweets about Lucky McKee and is like, yo, check out this movie, Lucky's the best. Like, they're yeah. still tight-knit friends, even when people on this movie, like, absolutely blew up. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, listening to the commentary, they all seem to, like, love each other, right? Like, they, they, they truly seem to love each other. Like, they, they went to battle with each other, and they and they worked hard. And they were all in their early 30s, late 20s making this movie, and I think that camaraderie really shows. I, I mean, I like Lucky, I like Lucky as a human being. <laughs> yeah, and I, one of the other things that he brings up is that he wrote May when he was in college. Like I said, he's, he openly cites that he was inspired by Taxi Driver. So May, as this girl who's out of touch with general culture, is very reminiscent of De Niro in Taxi Driver. Um, that he doesn't always know the correct things socially about what he's supposed to do. And the yeah. end of the movie is an extremely violent outburst yeah. by that person in taxi driver he becomes a hero unintentionally yeah. but yeah. in this movie we don't see where it's going to end we, we, we kind of are yeah. left on a moment of ambiguity but yeah. like that taxi driver mold is still very much in the film and then it's no, also like i said it's got frankenstein it's got mm-hmm. nods to romero's dead movies dawn of the dead yeah. day of the dead he yeah. said he loved Nirvana, so there's, like, a lot of Nirvana, like, lyrics kind of layered through the film. That's pretty cool. He even said the Fisher King helped inspire the May character. So there's just, like, a yeah. lot of unique influences. What an interesting... It's, like, basically, like, a 90s... It is such a, like, spirit of the 90s, like, movie, is it not? Like, well, yeah. I mean, like, the thing that pops to my mind is when filmmakers bring together all of their, like, weird interests and like put them into a blender and then spit out something yeah. it can get like really weird or yeah. sometimes it hits with a large audience i think yeah. may is hit with a large audience on the back end as a cult movie and part of that is because it did not release in theaters it released straight to vhs and dvd yeah. but mm-hmm. other movies that are like this i mean like this is not the same quality i don't think like i like may but i don't think it's as good sure. as something like the matrix or everything sure. everywhere all at once, which are like yeah. singular visions by somebody who combined all the things they loved and then spit it out into a movie. Sure. But that's the kind of movie that May is, if you think about it. Yeah. Is it's drawing from a dozen, two dozen sources. And when you know they're all there, it is obvious. It's just yeah. maybe not something that's obvious while you're watching it. And I think that's yeah. one of the things that has I've grown to appreciate about this movie. Oh, it's already kind of raised in my estimation from the first time I watched it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's like I think the one thing that attracts it to people is everyone. The feelings in this movie, everyone understands, right? Like loneliness. May is so lonely, right? 
And like you, you resonate with that. Most people resonate with that. And I would say a lot of horror fans resonate with that too. Cause like we're into something that like not everyone's into, you know what I mean? So like you really resonate with that loneliness that May feels right. And then you have Adam, right. And he's like, is looking, he's also looking for somebody. Right. And he really connects with like May's like off kilter sort of personality too. And I think as a horror fan too, like you, you do kind of like those, like, off-kiltered people. You know what I mean? Yeah, So, like, 100%. you really resonate with these, like, people. Like, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, these are, like, these May and, like, Adam are, like, my people. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So I think that's why it rose to the cult ranks, because, like, you can actually feel those those human feelings and those human connections in those characters, too. Well, and it's also, there's something to be said about the Adam character who's played by Jeremy Sisto is just somebody who, like you said, is looking for love, is attracted to this girl. He realizes that maybe she's not a perfect fit for him. And he may not handle the breakup as well as he could have. But it doesn't mean that, like, like, maybe he ghosts her a little hard. Sure. But at the same time, like, it's reasonable to say, like, I was trying for this relationship, it wasn't really my jam, and I'm moving on, right? There are a lot of people who go through that. Yeah, and he even says, like, he meets her again, and he's like, hey, like... You know, it didn't work out, but, like, we're still good friends. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he, like, admires May, like, for who she is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I think we could all resonate with that, too. Like, that person's a little too off, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. But, like, I admire this person. I, I don't, like, have any ill feelings towards this person, you know? So, yeah, so I think, interesting. I think the one thing that I bumped up against the first time I was watching it is she is, like, really weird. Like, yeah. like, like in ways that I do feel like the movie's maybe a little cruel towards her by making her so weird. Um, but at the same time, you know, knowing the taxi driver influence, knowing what he's shooting for, I, I can see why it goes that far. I think he probably could have pulled back a little bit to make it yeah. not quite so socially awkward. But at sure. the same time, I, I, I can't argue with the result and where the movie yeah. ends. And the ending makes sense because of all the things that come before it. So yeah, absolutely. I think I think like he's a he's a I think he I think I think honestly he does a good job. He's like pre me too, trying to be like a feminist male director. And he says in his interview like I work well with women. I try to like show women characters that are um, you know full people and this that and the other thing, and try to avoid the male gaze. And I'm like, dude, like. <laughs> have you seen your movie? Like, the, you have like four shots of like hard nipples. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> but that, that seems to be just an issue for pretty much every single male director throughout the yeah. from the eighties all the way till like the last like five years. Uh, yeah. and, and, and even then, like, it can really get a missed, little. You really, yeah. I'm like, dude, you really missed the mark here with like what you're believing that you believe, like you know. So I, mean, but... I just think that like we did, we weren't having those conversations fully. Like he was reading maybe like the feminist mystique, but he didn't get it because women weren't talking to him about it. Like, <laughs> so, so there's a very real like pop culture criticism theory called presentism. And it's where you apply modern-day feelings, uh, political beliefs, philosophies to works of the past. And sometimes that's a reasonable course to take. You know, there are movies that have received criticism at the time. And I think that's an important aspect to keep in mind. Like, May does not get knocked for being, like, misogynist or, or anything like that. In 2002, right? So we're applying a sense of our current, like, reading of those yeah. issues to I a past film. Like, there's a difference. That, like, misogyny, really. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's misogyny. I think it's just, like, a man directing a movie about a woman. And sometimes yeah. there are things that men are not aware of that yep. a woman could maybe have directed it better. Like, it, it's just yeah. as straight as that. And like, like, like yeah. I think the best example of that is something like Zack Snyder directing Wonder Woman is very different sure. than Patty Jenkins directing Wonder Woman. Sure. Like the, the way yes. they frame women is slightly different yeah. in their films, no, and it's because they yeah. have a different experience coming to the table as yeah. a director. It's not to say that Zack Snyder is a raging misogynist. It's just to say no. that Patty Jenkins. I would say, uh, yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I would say, yeah, <laughs> I, I would say that Patty Jenkins is just a better person to film right. women doing action sequences. But you know, they kind of like get a little bit off topic, not really in the horror genre, but like mm-hmm. um, Stephen King when he was writing Carrie, he's like, I don't want to continue writing this because I can't write a female character the right way. And mm-hmm. his, and his wife was like, his wife was like, no, keep writing, and I'll help you write this female character. Isn't that yeah. fun? That's so cool. <laughs> well, but, so it's actually interesting you bring up Carrie, because that's actually a great transition point. So yeah. that was one of um, one of Mickey's like, big movies when he was a kid. Was He, he remembers very fondly renting Carrie. And what's funny yeah. is that Angel, Angela Bettis, who ends up getting cast as May in this movie, oh, yes. had just <laughs> played Carrie in the TV remake of the movie, of the book. So yes. there, there is some Carrie... DNA yeah. in this film as well. Again, a woman Absolutely. who is misunderstood, who is scorned, mm-hmm. who is mm-hmm. not given equal opportunities and is made fun of. When she goes yeah. to check in on Jeremy Sisto's character, yeah. she gets made fun of for being slightly off. And I can see how it's not too dissimilar to, that to John Travolta dumping a bucket of pig's blood on her at the prom, right? Yeah. For, for, yeah. for a minute, she thinks she's in with somebody she trusts people and yeah. instead she just feels like she's being used by both Adam and Polly. So yeah. there is yeah. some Carrie DNA in this as well. No, absolutely. Yeah. She definitely has that Carrie feeling when she goes out and goes on her rampage. So I appreciate that. You know, like the one piece of the movie that really stuck to me is like when she like completely abandoned, like trying to fit into society and was like, yep. and like, I, she's like, She's like, I'm just going to be May. And when she was completely May, when she was, like, this sociopathic killer, basically, she was, like, confident and, like, sexy and, like, cool. Like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she was, like, like she was sitting in the thing, and she's, like, do a spin for me for the, to the girl because she wanted her legs or whatever, you know? Yes, yep. <laughs> and she's just, like, so confident. And I think that piece also resonates with people like they're like i'm so lonely i'm so isolated i'm like so i want people to like me so badly and then like something clicks with you and you're just like you know what like i'm just gonna be fucking me you know what i mean like and like i think that piece is so cool like you're like wow like this weird girl just like commits to being weird and she's so cool for it like you know what i mean like i think that, that piece really resonates with people too Yep. So let's get into some of the other filmmaking parts of the movie, too. Um, I think that the movie is also, when they were, like, designing the world in which it was going to take place in, there's a lot of Dario Argento in the movie. That's because uh, Lucky met Dario Argento while he was in film school. Um, As he pointed out on on the commentary, Dario Argento basically said, you make a movie, Stu, which is like... I, I mean, I don't want to say that Dario Argento is basically Mario if he made movies, <laughs> but he kind of comes across that way sometimes. He's like so like wildly Italian. I'm just like, oh yeah. And, and, and anybody who does not know, Argento is the person who made Suspiria, who's yeah. one of the most important Jalo uh, directors that's ever existed. And so it, it's it's cool that there is again some of that. DNA coursing through May. Um, for as far as the production design, they had to create the vet clinic from scratch. So mm-hmm. they also they found a set that they were able to use for free, which is a huge wow. deal for any indie movie. Yeah. Apparently, they destroyed it so bad that they were like, never again. Like nobody's <laughs> ever allowed to use this. And so while the vet office looks like a vet office in the movie. Um, that's not something you can do today at that location. Like that location is now gone. Uh, they I made. Location. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> Here's a free place for you to hang out. Also, you can never come back again. So if you want to go to LA and like check out May May tour, like, they gave you the location of the vet clinic. Like, <laughs> um, the designers and costumers made the doll that she had, yeah. which is her best friend. Um, they tried to make two of them because the first one they burned in places. They left yeah. it in the kiln too long. However, mm-hmm. because uh, they just didn't have the budget, they had to just work with it. And so it's like heavily painted. And I think that yeah. you can 
you, you can see that it's like there's a lot of paint on it, but I think it also yeah. helps it look like a family heirloom. It, it yeah. like an older like thing that somebody would want to protect for years. So I, I think yeah, that it also looks super creepy. It too. looks super <laughs> creepy. When I saw it the first time, I was like, "What the hell is Annabelle doing in this movie?" Like, <laughs> like it's like it's like creepy. Yeah, I know. It does have that like that Annabelle sort of vibe too, because it's in the box and everything. You know, right, like exactly. The, like you know, so that's pretty cool. Like probably like knew about all these like mm-hmm. you know things going on. Um, speaking of the doll, they also put it in a glass case, and throughout the mm-hmm. film, as she begins to literally, like, crack up, like, mentally, there are mm-hmm. cracks forming yes. in the glass, and yeah. apparently that was a practical effect that the special effects team learned how to do while they were doing wow. reshoots, so that was not something that they initially planned on being able to flow through the, thread through the movie, and wow. they were able to do it. That's super cool. And then, Dude, I want to learn how to crack glass slowly. That's pretty dope. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot, because of the vet clinic scenes, there are a lot of animals, uh, specifically the insides of animals, which yes. I, I will be honest, Ryan, uh, I was a little mad yeah. at you at first uh, because <laughs> of my recent history with animals. You're like, hey, oh, no. watch this movie with the, the animals that are being ripped up and up. telling gross <laughs> stories about. Uh they used pork belly for the insides of animals. No actual animals were hurt. Oh, a lot of production okay. design in that regard. So yeah. that, that, that's all good. The other thing is the production designer, sh- the cat in the movie is actually her cat. Um, oh, wow. They brought it to set to use it because they're, again, trying to be cheap. They were like, mm-hmm. I don't even know if this is going to work. And it turns out that the cat was well-trained enough to like do the animal husbandry scenes they needed it to do. Oh, wow. So... They kind of lucked into that. Apparently, yeah. one night, the production designer accidentally left the cat at the house. Like, just, like, <laughs> went home from her day job forgetting that she had a cat. And she came back the next day, and the cat was still there. So everything was okay, but, like, she felt really bad about it. Oh, I'm sure. Fuck kitty. <laughs> Leslie Keel was the production designer. She also is in the scene for in the movie for one scene. She is the feet that we see in the background of a shot, or foreground of a shot, after Anna Faris's character is killed off. Mm. We just see her legs, while oh. May has a conversation with with Polly's like new girlfriend. Yeah. And while that's happening, we can see it, but Polly, Polly's new girlfriend cannot see Polly's dead body. So the, that yeah. was actually Leslie Keel's legs for those scenes. Mm. That's interesting. Lucky was in it too. He's yes, Lucky is also in it. Out in the elevator. <laughs> yeah, there's like a recurring bit there. Yes. There's a lot of interesting people that like come in for just like a scene or two. Yeah. I know Kevin Gage is a big one. You will probably not know who this is. Sure. Kevin Gage is Wayne Grow in Heat. Okay. One of my all-time favorite movies, the De Niro, sure. <laughs> the De Niro Pacino action crime movie <laughs> that has like inspired the last like twenty years of action filmmaking. Like The Dark wow. Knight is basically just Heat, but with Batman. Mm. Like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway, Kevin Gage plays her dad in flashbacks. He's only in a couple scenes. He eventually went to jail in real life because of yeah. illegal shit. And when he was in jail, the movie Heat was so popular that he was just called by his character name, Wayne Grow. Yeah. People, like, actually respected him because he was in the movie Heat. Oh. So, <laughs> weird stuff. Anna Ferris is probably the biggest name that is, like, really right. weird that she was in this movie at this no, time. did you get any information on, like... I, I never that? found out why she chose this role. What's interesting is, for her career at this moment, she's coming off of Scream 1 and Scream 2. Yeah. So, she can't, like, do anything. <laughs> exactly. I mean, Anna Ferris, I think, has long... There's part of me that I don't always love what Anna Ferris is doing, but in uh-huh. those scary movies, in Scary Movie 1 and 2 specifically, she's really good, and she's, like, an extremely yeah. talented comedic actress. And I think it's yeah. easy to, like, write that off because she plays a ditzy, weird parody character, but she's also <laughs> playing a ditzy, weird parody character. That's so, like, like it's exactly what she's supposed to be doing. So, <laughs> yeah. I think that she, in particular, it's really interesting that she j- jumps into this movie, and she gets some awards nominations, we'll get to those in a little bit, wow. for her portrayal in this movie. She really does wow. come in, and I think she's just, like, absolutely great. Like, she steals yeah. every scene she's in. 
Yeah, she's huge. In every scene, she's like the like she, you can feel the energy. Like she's like actually a movie star in this movie. Yep. Right. Yep. It's interesting that you say that because like I've never really gotten that like oh this person's a movie star, but like when you're watching a movie when someone has that much energy, like you can like feel it in a scene right mm-hmm. they overpower the scene it's like fa- it, it's interesting in this movie in my in my world context i finally understand that phrase <laughs> yeah and especially when she's paired up against i think somebody like jeremy sisto and her don't really share the screen very often and um right. people will probably know jeremy sisto from a handful of things he was in suburgatory was probably, like, okay. the biggest show he was on. He's also in the sure. movie Wrong Turn. He's in Clueless. Mm, okay. I want to say he's in... God, I feel like he was in another really big... Oh, I think he's in Waitress. I think that's the one that I'm thinking mm. of, where okay. he's, like, the bad guy in Waitress. But I might be okay. wrong on that. Yeah. No, he is. He, he's he's Earl in Waitress. So he's had, like, okay. a pretty big career. Yeah. But I think this is, like, low-key his best performance. Because he's not somebody who I'm always in love with, but I think that he plays yeah. this, like, kind of weird, awkward guy who thinks mm. he's weird, but is only, like, surface-level weird. Like, he yeah. thinks that he's, like, super, like, underground, hardcore, like, yeah. but he's not. I, I think a good yeah. example is, like, he's like, whoa, you've never seen this Argento movie? And that's, like, as, like, weird as he actually gets. Yeah. And, like, Argento is, like, I would agree that Argento is out of the mainstream. But when you're yeah. looking at somebody like May, who is like very out of the mainstream, right. it suddenly becomes more obvious that he's like kind of like a basic bitch. Sure, yeah, it's like a, I like him kind of into this. Like you know, I'm like weird enough to know the Italian Argento movies. Like you know. <laughs> yeah, but you also have, but but even you liking a movie like May also shows that you dig deeper and you also like live on shutter like you dig deeper into this stuff versus like this guy like is like very surface level yeah i literally only watch horror movies like people talk to you about literally anything else and i'm like i have to like force myself to go see other movies (laughs) exactly the other thing that popped up so we'll get to the ryan johnson of it all in a second but we have to talk about benji the craft services guy so we both watched the movie and then, as part of our research, we were we listen we like to listen to director commentary tracks because you just learn a lot of information that way about how right. a movie's made. Well, mm-hmm. this movie has two different director commentary tracks, and one of them is on the internet just to listen to. And and this guy Benji comes in and he's like the craft services guy, but like, like is he? It's a real question. Just like like. like <laughs> it seems like he's just like a friend of theirs, potentially one of the producers of the movie, who right. comes in and just like almost like against their will, they're being forced to do this commentary track. And so this guy just comes in and drops like weird bombs. And he's like, Yeah, man, like I really hate that coffee shop that we went to film at because I tried to bring in my craft services that day. We were gonna make like Mahi Mahi steaks. And, like, they were, like, a week old from Trader Joe's, but, like, we're an indie film, so, like, you know, we were going to eat them anyway, and they said I couldn't do that because I would make people sick, and I, like, hate them for that. It was, like... He's got so many good lines during that commentary. Yeah. Uh, I think I think my personal favorite line is that he said he got busted for buying Del Taco tacos and then selling them at a markup, which... Yeah. <laughs> I have so many questions about where that joke came. I mean, to me, it seems really obvious that he's not a real person. But like, yeah. like you said before we started recording, this is like a really punk rock commentary in that regard. Yeah, it is like a super punk rock commentary. It's like a bunch of people just like sitting around shooting the shit, being like, "Fuck this! I don't want to do this. I'm kind of like on contract to do this," which I don't think they were. I think they actually were just doing this. But like. It's, they just bring this guy Benji in, who's like maybe or maybe not their like catering guy. Like, and he just comes out. He just like brings up these absurd stories, and you're like, are these stories real, or is he just making this shit up and like putting into this commentary? So when you're listening to it, they're all like, yeah, like this production scene, like you know, we we burnt the doll, blah blah blah. And then Benji's like. Yeah, this person's, like, allergic to this, and I almost killed him or something. <laughs> like... it, it is, like, they're, they're like, such off-the-wall stories. 
he, he makes a joke about Jeremy Sistro using poppers. Like, like everything in the movie is like borderline. Like everything that, that he is saying is like borderline illegal. And oh, I'm like, dude, just call that bitch out. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, it, it's a real question about whether or not he's real or not. All right, so we need to talk about Ryan Johnson because again, like, oh. it, it is so weird that he is involved in this movie. I think yeah. my favorite quote that he gives is he talks about John Cassavetes, who, if you don't know, was a uh, very famous actor and director of the 60s and 70s. Very, very, very punk rock, lived life hard, died mm. super young. His movies are incredible. Uh. But Cassavetes used to say continuity is for pussies. And <laughs> uh, Ryan Johnson really adheres to that idea. The it, Based on the commentary, him and Lucky seem to say that a lot of stuff was kind of put into the movie because the studio forced it to be in the movie. Mm, which I, I found interesting. They right, even, for an indie film? That yeah. came out VHS? <laughs> well, and even at one point, they, like, tried to lift an entire subplot about her going to teach the blind children. And the other mm. people are like, how long would the movie have even been? And they're like, it's only, like, four minutes we would have shaved off the movie. It wouldn't have been that crazy. But this movie's yeah. only, like, 85 minutes anyway. So it would have oh, been, so like... like... you can't make an 80-minute film. <laughs> like, yeah, like, <laughs> it, it becomes more difficult to, like, get away with stuff when your movie's 80 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, it just seems like they did a lot of different cuts, and they yeah. seem almost, like, a little unhappy with the cut that released, mm, but they ultimately yeah. agree it was the best version of the movie, which I find very yeah. interesting. It is interesting. I mean, like, I really wonder with what the movie would be without... It seems really forced, that blind children... Scene, it, like, it, it does, which is why I think they thought about lifting it entirely out of the movie. Yeah, it's it does. It's like she like sees like a girl that like is kind of like sad and lonely, and she's like, I want to work with that girl, but like, it doesn't. Yeah, the continuity of it is like all kinds of like messed up. I mean, I will say like blind children digging through glass to find a doll and ripping apart. Gary Romero, first of all, and yes. pretty dope. <laughs> I was gonna say it felt, it felt like the crazies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it definitely, again, there's some, like, interesting homage going on in that sequence, but it, it does feel a little out of place. Yeah, it's just unneeded. I think they could have cut it, and I think it would have been fine. The only thing is that that point in the movie with the blind children where they rip apart the doll and the doll's, like, gone, the doll is, like, the, attach, like, the attachment to her mother, right? And her yes. mother, like... Her mother, like, is like, you have to, like, make your own friends. You have to try to be normal. You have to do this. So when the doll's gone, metaphorically, is when she is able to be fully May, when she severs that tie to her, like, potentially, quote-unquote, toxic mother or whatever, you well, know? And then, like she said, you have to make friends. She yeah. then takes the, that, that advice literally and mm -hmm. makes a friend. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so... It's hard to ignore that part of it as well. Yeah, they kind of shot this movie very fast. Yeah, at the end of two thousand one, they cut it together real fast. They shoot it over to Sundance. The Sundance is like, yeah, sure, you're in, and it airs in January of two thousand two at Sundance one night only. Lionsgate mm -hmm. mostly loves the movie and it's like, yeah, we'll go ahead and distribute it for you on VHS. It's Crazy. pretty much ex like immediately pegged as as a direct to DVD or direct to VHS yeah. kind of movie. So even right. though it's, like, official release is 2002, it mm. bounces around a couple film festivals. It goes to Cannes, it goes to San Francisco, it goes to Florida Film Festival, L.A. Film Festival, and eventually releases on VHS in 2003, uh, or on DVD in 2003, in July of 2003. It does go for a very limited theatrical run, but it was only, like, six weeks, which mm. is unheard of. In 2003, sure. like, normally it would be, like, 90 or 180 days, and six wow. weeks later it's, like, on DVD. So yeah. today that's not so weird, but back then it was extremely yeah. weird. Hmm, interesting. It's clear that they always meant for this to be more of a home video hit. Yeah. And as a result, I mean, they ended up picking up some rewards. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to touch on, Ryan? Well, I just think that, like, the piece that I found very interesting is his, like, love of, like, David Lynch, right? Um, and the fact that, like, David Lynch has this, like, weird, like, fairy tale-y sort of feeling yep. in his movies. And he sort of takes this, like, fairy tale sort of existence. And, like, when you, when you see this movie as, like, a fairy tale, as, like, a dark fairy tale, it, like, clicks. 
you're like, oh shit, this is like a dark fairy tale, right? <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, in a fairy tale, anything can happen. And at the end of the movie, May gets what she wants. She like fought so hard to get what she wants, and she actually was able. It's like a happy fairy tale ending, <laughs> a dark fairy tale ending. And I like, I like, love that piece. You know what I mean? That piece of that fairy tale as an influence on his work. Yeah. Yeah, let's jump into the awards, though. All right. Well, first of all, it did pick up some awards on the way to its release. It ended up competing at the 2004 Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, which is... I have to question IMDb on this one. I tried sure. to find the actual awards from Fangoria. Sure. But they're, I, the, apparently their website is not currently showing it, so we have to trust mm. IMDb on some of this stuff. Sure. You'll understand why in a minute. But first of all, it wins Best Actress for Angela Bettis, who plays yeah. May. May is really good. We didn't really talk too much about Angela Bettis. Sure. She, she's really good in this movie, and she would later be in a movie. She, obviously, she was in the Carrie remake on TV. Yeah. She was in Girl Interrupted. She's pretty good in that. Most recently, she was in a movie called 12 Hour Shift that I think is actually mm. very good. A nice little sure. horror movie about... Uh, about a drug-using nurse, and oh. they're, like, doing organ trafficking. Mm. I think you would actually really dig it. So... Yeah. What's it called? 12-Hour Shift. Okay. But, yeah, so she beats out, uh, like, Jessica Biel and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There's not, like, a super strong group of people for her to go up against, and she ends up becoming the representation for this movie at Fangoria. They do lose Best Limited release direct-to-video to Bubba Hotep. Mm. Have you ever seen Bubba Hotep? I haven't heard of it, no. I've never even heard of it. <laughs> okay, so basically, it's like, if it's a horror comedy about, what if Elvis, played by Bruce Campbell, and okay. JFK, who is played by Ossie Davis, who is black, fight a mummy, and the mummy is sucking people's souls out of their butts. Like, that is the premise <laughs> of the movie. Um... It went straight to it went straight to VHS DVD. Bruce Campbell won Best Actor uh, yeah. at, at the for playing uh, for playing Elvis. So yeah, it's, okay. it's a silly, super <laughs> weird movie. I like put on the short list if I have time. But, if like, you have I don't time, think I yeah. Enjoy it. <laughs> Potentially not. Anna yeah. Ferris gets nominated for Best Supporting Actress. She does lose that award to Karen Black of House of a Thousand Corpses. So good performance. Mm. No, no shade there. Uh, Lucky yep. McKee gets nominated for Best Screenplay. Uh, he does lose, but he lost to 28 Days Later and Alex Garland. And I, oh, I, wow. I, I really can't argue with that. <laughs> yeah. I, I like May a lot, but 28 Days Later has yeah. a pretty masterful no, screenplay. Uh, the interesting thing yeah. about this year's awards is that the Best Film nominees for wide release were 28 mm-hmm. Days Later, House of a Thousand Corpses, Cabin Fever, the remake of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Wrong Turn. So, like, a pretty Mm. solid five for most years. However, in worst film, they also have House of the Dead, House of a Thousand Corpses, 28 Days Later, Cabin Fever, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, it's like, there's a lot of bipolar reactions to these movies. The only movie in the best wide release category that wasn't also nominated for worst film was Wrong Turn. Mm. That's, like, Mm. super weird to me. That is strange. So I, I, I do that. That is the thing I'm calling into question on the IMDb's list. Everything else seems to be correct. It's just that one section mm-hmm. I'm a little questioning. But yeah, it's a pretty good year overall for horror. Obviously, when you have movies like, like May is, you know, tearing up the scene. Um, Freddy vs. Jason came out this year. Cabin Fever, Jeepers Creepers 2. There's some really good stuff like that's out there. Yeah. House of a Thousand Corpses, obviously. So yeah, it's it's a good year I think overall for horror. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a great year for horror. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's talk about our awards. So first of all, let's go mm-hmm. to best kill. I think there's only really two categories. I'll let you choose the winner. I had Ambrosia, mm-hmm. who is the girlfriend of Polly, aka Anna Faris's yeah. character, the one whose legs get who's uh I think her legs get taken. They get used, yeah. Yeah, or hoop. <laughs> who is James's new girlfriend who shows up later in the movie. I love the color hoop. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a preference, or is there a kill that you think is better? And, and keep in mind, all the kills in this movie all occur in, like, the last, like, 25 minutes. So it's, yeah, like, it's yeah. like very much, like, all in a row. 
I love. I also. I love the um, Italian horror sort of like see like influence in all the blood and all the scenes and all the kills yes. too. Like yep. it's very so much, like much that. blood. I'm trying to think. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I'm like trying to remember back to the kills. Can you remind me of the two kills? Hoop and uh, Ambrosia. I know it's like turn and then the double stab for. Yeah, the Ambrosia, Ambrosia. is the double stab, and then Hoop uh-huh. is like. Oh, the neck kill. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I think the emotional impact, because that was the first kill of the movie, really. You know what I mean? You never knew that she was going to do it. What do you think, AJ? I'm leaning slightly towards the hoop one because of how violent it is. And, like, it also comes in the middle of her getting into a fight with Jeremy Sisto. She's like, just touch my face. Just touch my face. And then, like, you think all of her anger is being directed at Sisto? And then all of a sudden, yes. she's like murders the side character, who doesn't really dark. matter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> both in this case, both these characters just happen to have dated the wrong people. Like they're yeah. not even the ones who committed the sins per se. I mean, yeah. I think that the Ambrosia girl is a little rude to her earlier in the movie. Yes, but <laughs> and, and I think Hoop is also a little rude to her. But they're just mm-hmm. trying to be defensive in who they're dating and trying to maintain their active mm-hmm. relationships. Yeah, I mean, Hoop is, like, rightfully kind of miffed. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't disagree. If some <laughs> random person showed up and was like, hey, I want your girlfriend to touch me, I want your, I want Rachel to touch me on the face, I'd be like, no, yeah. fuck out of my house. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> like, I would not be okay with that, so... so. Yeah, so I'm very okay with Hoop. <laughs> Alright, uh... The Marion Crane Gone Too Soon Award. Uh, the nominees are Ambrosia and Hoop are both in it again. I would also yep. include Blank, the weird guy with the mohawk who shows oh, up at her house yeah. and, and begins the killing spree. And then there's Polly, yeah. um, yeah. Anna Faris' character, who's I, gone too I, soon. I think, yeah, I think, I think Blake, I think Blake um, is such a caricature that I don't care about him. Like, thank Fair you enough. for your cool arm tattoo. I think Polly is one of the best, like, characters in the movie. So I think <laughs> Polly wins the Gone Too Soon. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree. Especially because I did not necessarily think she was going to become a victim. And right. I, I still th- I mean, like, I think that she obviously sleeps with Ambrosia. So I don't... But she also... I, I don't necessarily know if she wrongs May. Whoa, she's so nice to her. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I, I think that I think that she does ultimately, like, betray her trust in some way. But she also sure. does, I hate to, like, phrase like this, she does invite her in to also join in. So yeah. I don't really think that she realizes what she's done is wrong. And May never right. tells her that, she, that it's wrong. No, there were like, no boundaries uh, created. Yeah, they're, they're not technically <laughs> together either. Like, it, was, yeah. it, it seems like it was, like, a one-night event. Uh, so I, I would agree. Yeah. I, I think I think that the Polly girl is probably the Polly yeah. character is not too soon. And Polly addresses her feelings so well. She's like, "Oh my goodness, you're jealous," and she's like, "Kind about it." It was like yeah. kind of a touching moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Polly is our winner of that award for sure. <laughs> yep. Uh, the Tom Savini best effect in the movie. Oh yeah, I see what you wrote down, and that definitely. <laughs> yeah. So it is one of the only problems I do have with the overall film, though is mm-hmm. the inclusion of the eye gouge at the very beginning yeah. of the movie, because then I know right. it's coming the whole movie. Right. And I kind of wish that it hadn't been revealed so early. Yeah, it doesn't, it's so, so unnecessary, too. Because like. <laughs> because I, I think it's, like, I think the only reason it's where, and this feels like a studio note, it feels like yeah. they have to promise something early to mm-hmm. let you know it's going to pay off down the road. But the fact that it's mm-hmm. the lazy eye that she cuts out, yeah, yeah. Like, that would have been more impactful if had I not known that was going to happen the whole movie. Right. So I, exactly. Yeah, so I, I do think this is a case of probably studio interference, but that doesn't change the fact that the effect itself is really effing cool. It is super cool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, and the portion that, like, she needs a portion of herself to create this doll, which is yes, kind of dope. exactly. And it also adds that fairy tale element of is when the, yeah. when the creature doll actually moves – is it yeah. real or is it all in her head? Like, she could literally be yeah. losing blood so fast. Losing her mind, yeah. <laughs> that she's beginning to hallucinate. Yeah, absolutely. The scared of shit moment of the week. I think there's only really two scenes, and I think that it's pretty firmly in one camp. I think the showdown mm-hmm. with Adam slash Jeremy Sisto, I think that's mm-hmm. gotta be it. It's the only scene that I think is genuinely yeah. scary in the movie. I think that she's very unnerving. When her and Ambrosia are having the showdown in the kitchen, where they're talking to each other, yeah. um, 
but I think that I wasn't scared. No. I think one that should be in the running just for its, like, weird, like, feelings it gives you is the is the scene with the blind children running over the glass. And, yeah, like, that, that's a good point, too. All up in them. Like, that's a good point, just, though. Yeah, it gives you, like, a really icky feeling. Like, you know, children being harmed by glass and ripping apart the doll. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I actually like that a lot. I, I'm okay with yeah. shifting over to that one. That's a good good call. Yeah. All right, cool. All right uh, the Steve Hadley Biggest Regret Award. Um, I think it's Adam, right? Oh, yeah. Like, it's got to be Adam. <laughs> Adam <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, like... I think like, Adam is the character in the movie. Like, I think the Adam biggest thing is Polly doesn't really... isn't aware she's about to die, so I'm not even sure yeah. she even, like, has the time to process the regret. I think it just kind of right. happens, and she doesn't even realize, like, yeah. why she's dying. Uh, yeah. There's no way that Adam does not know why he is dying. Especially after yeah. he watches his new girlfriend get stabbed in the face in front of oh, him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, the Kurt Vaughn most overconfident character. I have Ambrosia, Hoop, or Blank. I think it's got to be Ambrosia. Or yeah, blank. Ambrosia's way too confident. Blank, Blank's confident. Like, I love the, like, oh, it's so hot in here. I oh, wonder if take that's off a my shirt. reference. <laughs> I wonder if, it, if that episode of The Simpsons came first, or if it came after. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> it's one of those I, two. I think, yeah, I think Ambrosia wins that award. <laughs> I think you're right. The Norman Bates yeah. moment of the movie, when the whole movie turns, I think it is the Death Kids yeah. destroying the box. That is Come when... Yep, yep, Come so win, I'm okay with that. Uh, icon feedback, we gotta bring this one up. Yeah. Roger Ebert gave this movie mm. four out of four stars. He called it a horror film and something more and deeper, something disturbing and oddly moving. He characterized uh, the the film as a final shot that would get laughs in, in any other kind of film, but May earns the right to it, and it works, and we understand it. Uh, so he loved awesome. it. He yeah. does not ultimately put it in his top ten of the year, but he because he's Ebert and he's the god of film criticism, uh, he can do whatever he wants. And so he made yeah. a sp- he every year he would do special jury prizes for movies that were close to being like in his top ten, but he just wants to basically shout them out. Um, and wow. he does that for May. Um, wow. and it, yeah, it's one of his favorite movies of the year. Like, it, like, I, wow. I, I think it probably that, like, helped it, helped it with its cult, like, following. I think it certainly doesn't hurt that when somebody like Ebert yeah. puts attention on a movie like this one, yeah. I think that it's, that it, that's notable. Mm. I, I'm trying to pull up the other list of movies that he considered, like, in that vein. I mean, like, he, he ultimately gives best movie of the year to Monster, which is very similar. It's okay. about Eileen... Warlos <laughs> murdering people. Yeah. So he oh, clearly wow. <laughs> was feeling this kind of movie that year. Yeah. But like the other movies that he's citing with his special jury prizes are Barbarian Invasions, All the Real Girls, Better Luck Tomorrow, <laughs> Elephant, like like other like yeah. Kill Bill Volume One. Like he's putting it in that same oh. category and with, with really big filmmakers, and that tells me a lot about how he felt about the movie. That while it does not yeah. ultimately make his top ten, it's very high. So huge icon yeah. award. I think he's the first person. I think he's the first time we've cited Ebert on the podcast. Uh, a four out of four star from him yeah. is a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. AJ loves Ebert. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I think he's the most important film <laughs> critic of all time. I don't think I'm alone in that. Yes. Uh, I know. Yeah. Um, all right, Mandy Award. Is this their peak? Four people that we have in the running are Angela Bettis, Jeremy Sisto, Anna Ferris, Lucky McKee. I do not, it can't be Anna Ferris. <laughs> it, it can't be Anna Ferris because she's had a much bigger career. But we had to bring it up, yeah. and also she is coming off of Scary Movie 1 and 2, and she gets nominated right. for this with certain guilds for her performance. But I do think she has a bigger career down the road. Um, plus she yeah. leads a sitcom on CBS, and yeah, she's got a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. I think that's ditto for Jeremy Sisto. I think that he was the lead uh-huh. in a couple of TV shows. Uh, I think he's had bigger moments in his career, but this is a good, like, breakout performance for him. So it's really Angela Bettis or Lucky McKee. Yeah, I mean, literally I typed into, like, um, IMDb Lucky McKee, and, like, the only, like, he's known for May. Like, that's what came up. Alright, there we go. So, yeah, I mean, and he also gets the, he also gets the Fangoria Award, like, nomination. Like, he's had other movies, but I think that this is his biggest movie. 
and I definitely want to watch more of his movies to like see these like fairy tale uh, sort of like feelings, especially now that I know that he does this. So the two movies that they kept mentioning in um, his interview is is the woman and uh, what is the other one? The woods were the two that he uh, that he wrote. So I'm in, I'm interested to see those films too. Yep. To see what they are all about. But I think Lucky McGee is probably its peak. His like first movie. <laughs> well, and, and I'm going through like his IMDb, and it's like yeah. most of his awards, nominations, and wins are for May yeah. over the course of his career. Yeah. So yep. I, I mean that he also gets uh, quite a bit of uh, nominations for December and Tales of Halloween. Mm-hmm. So those are the other two okay. that might be worth checking out. Yeah, Tales of Yeah, Tales of Halloween I think is an anthology. Yes. So that's one that's one that's easy to watch. Anthologies are fun. Yeah, I mean yeah, I'm looking at it. He shared the award at the Saturn Awards for best DVD release with like Neil mm-hmm. Marshall who made like Game of Thrones and The Descent and there's a couple other filmmakers on here. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely an anthology film. But yeah, um he yeah, I, I think that he's the Mandy award winner here. Um Breakthrough Awards, mm-hmm. I've also got Lucky again. I'm just going to skip over to the Kevin Gage. I just wanted to yell about Wayne Grow. Um, <laughs> Anna Ferris has already broken through. Jeremy Sisto will break through in a bigger way later. Um, so it's really, again, Angela Bettis, Lucky McKee, or in this case, Ryan Johnson. Um, my argument for uh, Ryan Johnson is that he edits this movie and then immediately afterwards gets Brick, which is his first feature film, which launches him on the whole road towards superstardom um, as a director. So for Ryan Johnson, in my opinion, this is his first industry job that proves he's a good editor that allows him to get everything else that comes after. It's like proof of concept that he he knows how to tell a story, he knows how to structure a story, and when you have people like Ebert shouting the praises of it, that all of a sudden when you say, I, ha- I want to make a neo-noir with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, people are like, well, you yeah. did edit May and it looked good, so sure. Yeah. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, I'll let, I'll let you have it. Definitely, I think um, I think Angela Bettis like kind of does some other stuff here and there, and I'm like looking at her IMDb, and like I'm like, oh, this is interesting, but I don't know enough about any of the pieces that she's a part of. But I think she's the the crazed mother in Twelve Hour Shift, <laughs> which is kind of cool. But I don't know. I just saw that she was in, in that movie, and I think she is the crazed mother in 2020. So, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> well, I'll take it. Well, and this brings us to our final one, who won the movie? And again, it's the same cast of characters we've been mentioning, but this is where I yeah. think Angela Bettis wins. Because yeah. she wins the movie in the sense that she gets an iconic performance, like instantly yes. iconic performance, for horror films. She wins yeah. the Fangoria Chainsaw Award for Best Actress. Right. It, it, it at least allows us to always look back and say, like, oh, she's got this performance in her. No matter no matter yeah. what you think about the future of her career, like yeah. she has this. She won yeah. multiple other awards over the course of the year, in addition to the Chainsaw Award. She won a Rising mm. Star Award. Uh, she mm. won multiple Best uh, Actress Awards. Um, yeah, I, I think that this is the one that ultimately sets her up for yeah. whatever her career ends up becoming, and she's the only person who also walks away with an actual trophy. For this movie, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that's a fair, fair assessment of it. I think that um, I want even even Lucky's. It says in the commentary, like Anna's, like Anna's my my uh, starring girl as long as I can have her. Is what you right. said, like, which is like a paycheck <laughs> for any movie that he makes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's it. So, do you have anything yeah. else you wanted to bring up about the movie, Ryan? I know you love this movie, so you can gush. No, I mean, I just, yeah, I just really love this movie. I, I, my first watch, I, like, I'm just, like, I'm, I'm Adam, and learning about this movie is why I am, like, falling in love with this pod, doing this podcast, because learning about movies that we really love and, like, getting a deeper dive into it and seeing it as, like, a fairy tale and, like, how, how all of his horror connections with, like, Carrie and, like, um, David Lynch and all of these pieces help build this movie, like, just, like, makes me love it even more, right? So, like, I'm connected to the characters and the feelings. Like, I'm a mental health clinician, so, like, I'm always about the interpersonal connection and all those type of things, but then to get the deeper dive into, like, the connections and all of those sort of things is just is just really, really awesome. 
learning about the movie and learning more about what what helped create these movies is really really cool all right so with that uh, let's go ahead and give it a final star ranking i'm gonna go ahead uh, out of 10 go ahead and give it like a like a score what would would you rank it ryan Hmm. I mean, I do love this movie, but I think if we're ranking it on, like, the score of all the movies, I'd probably give it, like, a six and a half. It's definitely not for everybody. You know what I mean? Like, it's a cult classic for real. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. It is definitely a cult classic for real. This is going to shock you and I. I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. I'm going to come out a little higher than you on it. Um, it, it, It is a cult classic, but I also think, especially once I, like, sat with it for a while i may not have loved it in my initial viewing but the longer i've sat with it the more i've thought about it and so uh i, I do think it's a very good movie I and mean, I, I think that it yeah does what it sets out to accomplish and those last 30 minutes are so yeah. good um yes I, I do overlook <laughs> some of the other flaws i have with the movie so yeah i'll give it a seven out of ten sure. awesome all right, wrap it up for a stage. All right, so uh, if you guys want to reach out to us, uh, please do. Uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter, at the Alan French, also the same name on Letterboxd. Uh, Ryan? Yeah, and you can hit me up. I always have to check my Twitter because I changed it. So it's keepitspooky09, and that's pretty much where you can reach me. <laughs> All right, uh, with that, I'm AJ. He's Ryan. Thanks so much. Peace.